I see you, James. I see and hear you, sir. Yeah, I'm glad we can. Sometimes we have issues with seeing and hearing each other, but not this week. We're great, dude. How you doing? I'm doing swell. I'm doing well. Yesterday, I got hit by a car. Holy shit. Were you you walking or on the scooter? I was on the scooter, and it was like this dude. I (sighs) It was a four-way stop, and I'm like, okay, this man has stopped. I am going to go, and... I was so like let's say the the I'm passing the driver's side and then I'm in the middle of where his car was until like where in front of his passenger side and this man just starts going and luckily I am terrified of being hit by a car and I think no one is going to stop so I'm looking out of the periphery and I see like oh this man started pulling oh no and like luckily I jump out my scooter it's okay but the, it the scooter was it got underneath his bumper and he like realized like, oh, I should stop right now. But I tweaked my back a little and I, like there were if anything bad had happened, there were people outside of restaurants eating and they were baffled by this situation. Like this, this, this person is in brightly lit clothes. It's the middle <laughs> of a sunny day in Chicago and was well. Pa- this man would have seen me pass on a scooter just like whoop and just hit me. And I'm like, and I was like one block from my location. I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to medicate tonight. And I didn't want to. Uh, yeah, it, I was pieced. But we don't have time for that today. We don't have time for your biking accident because the funny thing is is me and Charlotte saw a scooter accident yesterday as well, where an old man on a scooter was hit in the VCU area of Richmond, maybe the same time. Who knows? It's an epidemic, but you're right. We have no time to talk about such because we have a guest waiting in the wings. Who's been listening. And I know he's got an opinion about this. You know, this guy from Titanosaur, you know him from his rock and music, his videos, and he's got a new single out called eater of death he's in the studio with us he's jeff saavedra hello jeff yes hello hello howdy man during my story you were writing deserved in the chat so i'm just confused (laughs) by that (laughs) no that that, might have been the uh, dinosaur but that wasn't me (laughs) titano that's his name yes (laughs) yes yeah you um Jeff, I mean, that James, I don't want to breeze past your story, but we do have a guest. So I want to talk to him and then, yeah. and then we'll get some more details about your biking later. No, your I, scootering, I should say. I already gave all the details. We do not have Oof. time. We don't. We simply don't have the time because somebody has stolen it from us. At any rate, James, I'm going to I mean, yeah, James and Jeff, I'm going to slow it down for a second because I'm really happy that you're with us, Jeff. Thank oh, you thank for you. joining us again. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You came in with us a few months back. We had some uh, some technical diffs, but you hung in there like a champ. Um, no technical diffs this time. We're all good, right? So far, <laughs> I think, maybe. Um, I know you from Titanosaur, and maybe our listeners do not, but you're uh, the front man of a hard group, hard rock group, I should say. Um, I'm going to explain it, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, or you've probably heard people describe your music to you or your thing. I could see you opening for Clutch or Andrew WK. These are the bands that I kind of associate with you that are still playing now that, like, 
I could absolutely see your style of music blending in with that because it's hard, heavy guitars, um, a strong vocal presence. And the thing I like most about it is that you take, you know, you're about my age and you take your, your anxieties, your ailments, things that bother you, and you turn them into like hard rocking anthems that you can shout along and have a great time to. Um, so I love it for that reason. Uh, when was the first time you came up with that formula to like use your ailments to like make a fun rock and roll song? Well, um, well, first, uh, I'm, I'm glad that it comes across. I'm definitely glad that, that you're feeling it. <clears throat> you're getting the idea of the whole thing. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I've, I've, that's why I make music. That's why I've always made music. So um, there was no option for me. I mean, in high school, sure, I tried. I tried writing silly lyrics that didn't really uh, have any, that I didn't really have any connection with whatsoever, um, trying to be cool and all that stuff. But uh, no, it, it, it once I realized that it's more fun and it sounds better when you write lyrics that actually mean something to, your, to you as a singer, then <clears throat> and that's pretty much where they all come from. I feel like I repeat myself a lot, though. <laughs> so that's one of the problems <laughs> I have. Um, but uh yeah, no, that's uh, that's been for twenty years or so. Yeah, do you say are you, th- are you saying you feel like you repeat yourself like in your um in your lyrical themes or like in- exactly? Okay, I was gonna say don't worry about that because like speaking <laughs> of Clutch, I'm a huge fan of Clutch, and how many anti-establishment songs has Neil Fallon written? We get the point, dude. We get it, but we still love more. I mean, I always want more Neil Fallon stuff. I always want more Titanosaur. You know, uh, with with Clutch, especially, I'm, I'm a big fan of Clutch, and I, I have no idea how you could be a person standing up there singing songs like a Shogun named Marcus, um, with <laughs> lyrics like that, or like Wishbone off of Elephant Riders. Um, but he does it, and uh, it's it's great the way he does it, and, and I love Clutch, and um, so yeah, I would I would love to open up for them at some point if I could, but yeah. I also think if as long as the songs have meaning, you can keep going back to the same themes. It's not like Cottonmouth Kings where it's like, okay, yeah, guys, we fucking get it. You've made 12 albums where all the songs are about smoking weed, partying or running from the cops that like would just make a best of of all of those. It'll probably be still like maybe three albums worth, but you guys got to find new material. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, like I, I just finished a, a, a song uh, for an EP that I'm working with for I'm working uh, to complete um, and and I do a lot of songs about sleeping about not being able to sleep mm-hmm. um, and, and like a whole album was about that like my, my number two album was about that so uh, I feel like that gets repeated a lot too but yeah no if everybody likes it if everybody digs it then then you know it's, it's one of those little things that's, that's a little speed bump for me but I just keep going I think you're always going to have new material because it seems like you're you always have something going on. I follow you on Instagram and you post daily, which is great. I try to post daily, too. I don't always make it, but you do. And whether it's from walking your dogs or in the studio or if you're in the hospital or if you're stuck in a waiting room all day or if you're undergoing some procedure, you're you're posting about it and you're letting people know. So you're you're still experiencing some some heavy stuff. <laughs> so you're going to have some heavy material. There's no reason to shy away from it, in my opinion. Oh, I've been living with it. It's not that heavy. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, yeah. I, 
I was going to say, I studied a little bit of the Marfan's, um, Marfan syndrome. And like, it used to be that the average person with Marfan's had a lifespan. Am I saying it right? Marfan's? Yep. yep. Um, 45 year was like the average lifespan of someone. Um, and now with medications and stuff, you know, you can have an average lifespan, but the symptoms vary wildly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very well, a very, very wide spectrum of symptoms for someone with Marfan. Um, there's also uh, neonatal Marfan. Um, many of those uh, kids don't survive very long. Um, and many of those with neonatal Marfan end up in wheelchairs for the rest of their lives because their bones just are weight, their muscles don't develop, so they're way too weak. Um, so there's that end of the spectrum. Then there's someone like me with very minor issues. I mean, they're all heart related for me, but they're kind of minor compared to others. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it is amazing the way uh, medicine has uh, advanced. And uh, mm. as someone who is now in a place where I've been told that within the next five years, I'm going to need a heart transplant, I'm looking forward to medicine continuing continuing to advance. Yes. <laughs> Me as well, man. Jeez. So. Has, has it gotten in the way of your creativity at all yet? Because I don't see you stopping. I've seen like since you've been playing, you have a consistent routine has it gotten in the way yet well it, it does get in the way a little bit because uh, uh how much i can yell how much i can scream sure uh got cut back a little bit by some of the medication i was taking but we finally found something that's working better so i have a little bit more of a lung capacity but i still can't yell as long as i used to um so that's getting in the way and it'll get worse as as uh, my heart gets worse but uh since i don't play live um it hasn't really held anything back from that. If you've thought about playing live, I know a guy who would gladly play bass or lead guitar or rhythm guitar or keyboards. I know a guy, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you haven't played live at all. Um, I, I find that interesting. What tuning do you uh, do you play in, by the way? Is it drop uh, D? Well, currently drop, well, for the past uh, 10 years, drop C. Drop C. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's That's been my favorite spot. I think I might go lower, but I don't know. Ooh. <laughs> that'll, that'll take a while to get to. I like the drop A. I tried that one time, like oh trying to play some Conan songs, and it was ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm just drop D currently is what I'm doing, which I'm not used to. It's, it's new to me. Um, so I'm learning some songs that are in drop D. That I, I play drop E. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it's down one <laughs> octave. Oh yeah, so that's the the lowest of the low. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm double where, drop like, the D. The string is just hanging all the way down to the floor. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like noodles, you know. I'm just playing a banjo, like a like you know, a, just a single string, like bong, you know, something Top Cat would play. Like the guy from Corn, he just has like those loose ass strings, and he just like just thud, 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 when you he plays. Yeah. They're not even notes; it's just like slappy strings against a wood thing that's all mm -hmm. it is i respect that james <laughs> but yeah i'm gonna um switch gears a little bit guys i'm gonna get into some wheel of time news if i may Can, can I just ask something? Did you guys hear the cat just screaming for her life earlier? Okay, good. All right. The microphone is omnidirectional. 
I see the kitty cat right behind you, though. I love seeing that. I love this new camera view you got, and I can see back down the hallway. It's great, James. Well, anyway, yeah, I was going to our Wheel of Time news. Do you guys like my new Wheel of Time news theme song? Did y'all hear it? Y'all hearing it, right? It's still playing. Y'all like it? You do, you go back to this joke well too much, man. I I cannot hear it. It's the only thing I got. I mean, it's just like it's just like Jeff. You know, I'm gonna gonna go back to the same well every week. <laughs> yeah, but his stuff is artistically done. This is just repeating the same joke. I'm an artist, and this is my art. And this week, we were announced that we have two new cast members joining the crew for Wheel of Time season two. Boo. This was. Uh, why are you booing it first off stop with the new characters we have too many already (laughs) we got so many to go and some dude named bentley kailu some dude he he starred in halo and he also played with uh padan fame the peddler he uh played with him in halo and he's going to be joining the Wheel of Time crew as a regular cast member. We don't know who he's going to be playing or what he's going to be doing, but he is a big dude. He's six foot six. He's a combat fighter, and he's built built like a brick house, buddy. You know what them brick houses are built like, James. And I imagine he's probably going to be a warder or just a big old tough guy. Then we have Zelia Mendez-Jones and... She is just an actress that we have never heard of before. And she is joining the cast season two, a regular recurring role. Um, So we don't even know what she looks like. We only know her name. That's the big news this week, guys. No date drops, no nothing. Wheel of Time is slim this week. Jeff, what do you remember about Wheel of Time season one when you were watching it months back? Um, There are too many uh, characters for me to remember everybody's name. (laughs) <laughs> you don't have to remember, remember names <laughs> that's what i remember can you describe like a character or two that you enjoyed oh, oh, oh well i do remember that because i watched uh thor love and thunder um recently and okay. with no spoilers there that the scene i found very similar between uh the beginning i don't remember it was episode one or two uh where the uh whatever they're called the the, the monster guys attack the village Trollocs. was Almost the same as the uh, scene in Thor Love and Thunder where uh, the shadow monsters are attacking the village. It was just very interesting. That is interesting. That was like my least favorite scene. So I probably won't watch (laughs) Thor Love and Thunder in that case. (laughs) But yeah, that's cool. Um, Did you watch the whole season of Wheel of Time or just a few episodes? Yeah, no, I, I watched the whole season. My wife and I watched it together. She she actually went on afterwards to to listen to the audiobooks because uh, she listens to audiobooks more than reads. Um so she's she listened to all of them in like the span of a month or so. Whoa. Oh dang, um, Jeff, get out of here and bring her in the room quick. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's like a, it's very similar to like a couple that I know through roller skating. Um the husband of the couple is into the show and then the wife of the husband was kind of like into the show a little bit but not really. And then she ended up borrowing all my Wheel of Time books and she's on book eight right now. And she loved, we talk Wheel of Time every time we get together. <laughs> she loves it. It's great. <laughs> so you didn't have a, a particular character that she liked more than any others. I'm going to, well, I'm going to, I'm going to describe a few characters. I want to give you what your opinion of them. Okay. Well, well, well um, I always go for the, 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 the tough, the tough chicks. So, uh, you know, the, the, the two, the, the two uh, characters are probably the, the main, uh, Whatever her name is, uh, the one who's collecting all the people. 
um, mm-hmm. her, and then uh, the the one who we didn't think was part of the group, but actually is and was the most powerful. Um, those two characters are the most uh, interesting. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to hear about Nynaeve. That's who you're describing as Moraine and Nynaeve. Yes. And James and I are currently watching um, Ninja Steel, which stars um, Nynaeve, the one who like didn't the one the most powerful one that wasn't part of the group, but now is mm. that you described. She was a, she was a Power Ranger before she was a Wheel of Timer. Right, I remember reading <laughs> that. So that was that's fun. I'm enjoying watching it. I don't know if anybody's enjoying listening or not. It seems like it. I don't know. Are you enjoying watching that show again, James? I mean, yeah, but like I said, we don't need to fill time with watching this show that uh, it's even hard to get Power Ranger fans to listen to someone recap an episode because it's a infamous show for people just shitting on. I guess so, man. But as long as I'm having fun, our listeners are having fun, and James talking to you is fun. I hate to tell you, but it's true. (laughs) Jeff, the last time you were on the show, uh, we were talking about those Trollocs attacking that village. And you brought up the fact that that it immediately made you think about Time Bandits, made you think about the, uh, the ogre that is in that movie, and it made me reminisce about Time Bandits. And there's there's at least four tie-ins between Wheel of Time and Time Bandits. And we're going to get to it because that's what our retrospective is today, is on Time Bandits. Are you guys ready to go into talking about our movie today, Time Bandits? I just yes, I realize that I have my notebook here. I didn't take any notes. <laughs> you have an empty notebook? <laughs> yeah, why did I get that? I, I guess I was like, yeah, man, uh, like always got to have this notebook. I, I would like to hear your guys' thoughts on this movie. Oh, we're just going to start with our general thoughts? Yeah. Okay, um, Jeff, you want to go first or shall I? Um, sure. I, 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 uh, I don't remember the first time that I watched it, but I've seen it like uh, 50 times at least. I uh, actually was going to look for the uh, VHS tape so I could show you guys the VHS tape that I have. Um, but um, I remember watching it when I was a kid, not really understanding it, but knowing I loved it and watched it a million times since then. I just watched it uh, yesterday again uh, so I could take notes. Um, but uh, I, for me, it's it's a fantastic movie. It, it, it really hits all the buttons of fantasy, science fiction, um, adventure, um, a little bit of comedy here and there. Um, the characters for me are, are perfectly uh, cast. Um, the uh, the bandits themselves, the, the characters in, in the bandits are, are hilarious and amazing, and they're all for me well rounded, and, and you can definitely tell not only by the costumes which ones which, but by their their actions, their characters. Um, and the kid is really well uh, well cast also, and the script just works well, well edited. I don't know for the time it seemed like amazing um, special effects, and it still does. They still do look amazing. Um, and it's all practical effects um, from back in the, it came out in 81, I think. Yep. Um, so yeah, that, that's the, that's the basic takeaway. I remember when I first saw it, I didn't know who Sean Connery was. I didn't know that he was James Bond. I didn't see the connection. Um, but then later on it was like, wow, 
why the hell is Sean Connery in this movie? <laughs> but I've also seen Highlander is another one of my favorites. And that's also the question in that one. Why the hell is Sean Connery in that movie? <laughs> so, why the hell is Sean Connery the this voice of a dragon? <laughs> uh, you know, there's that too. Uh, so, uh, but then, but the biggest question for me was this time when I watched it yesterday was why is Shelley Duvall second, uh, the second uh, name that comes up when when the movie opens but yep. she's only in it for like five minutes in two different scenes but only like five minutes at most um but i guess that's hollywood uh so yeah th- those are the uh main first impressions i guess right on my turn james or you want to go go for it okay i took a lot of notes that'll answer some of your questions jeff because you know why is shelly duvall second build why is sean connery in this you know there's answers to those questions and i i did my research For me, yeah, I saw this movie first when I was 10 years old, very impressionable. Uh, This movie came out like, you know, uh, I wasn't really into these kind of movies, I guess. And it really affected me a lot. I had like when I was a little kid, I had recurring dreams about like um, breaking through like glass barriers and going to other worlds through (laughs) mirror portals. And I had dreams about like, you know, a bunch of evil men jumping on my bed and trying to steal things from me. And it, it obviously affected me a lot. So I'm, I'm very biased, very biased. Um, me and my friend Jay DeShazo and my best friend when I was a young punk rock teenager bonded over this movie many times, various substances. Um, so that's my impression. This movie has been part of my life ever since I was young and I've always loved it and i've always adored it and watching it now um you know because this is the first time i've seen it in about 10 years jeff it just brought back all the happy scary memories um doing my research before i watched it i learned you know like why john cleese was acting the way he was acting um it i loved it i loved it even more as an adult watching it just because it brought back those memories um James, how about you, my friend? What did you think about this movie? This is new for you. Yeah. If I had saw this as a child, I would have been like, oh, hell yeah. It has a lot, like it feels like the labyrinth in uh, color palette and tone. Mm -hmm. The sets are fucking amazing. They are top-notch quality, but for some weird reason, when I sat down and watched it, I had no interest in finishing it. I was like, (laughs) this is meandering. It's just, oh, boy. And I could not justify spending two hours just focused on this movie. So I did, (laughs) I I was paying attention and taking ebay photos while watching this movie as well i got i took like a like maybe for uh like listings of vhs lots i took like 143 photos so it was a productive day then you know picked up more vhs's from this dude who just i don't know where he's getting them but i've i've maybe 150 so far out of three lots from them 20 bucks each so yeah this this movie was boring and (laughs) i i i was excited i was like hell yeah this is gonna be right up my alley and just something about it did not click i do like 
uh, I think it's called Tideland. Have you guys seen that? It's another Terry Gillum movie. Never even uh, heard of it. Oh, it's very good. You guys should check that out if you enjoy his work. Yeah, I love it. Um, he, he wrote this movie as part of a trilogy. This is like part one of a three-part trilogy. It's like this movie and then The Adventures of Baron Munchausen and then Brazil wraps up the trilogy. Um, I've, I've, I love everything Terry Gilliam has done. 12 Monkeys, all the Monty Python stuff. So in the edit, I'm going to go back and listen to the name you told me, but tell us again for your listeners. What was that movie called? I believe it's Tideland. It came out in maybe 2006 era. It's be- like visually stunning but also very very weird it was one of this one i guess (laughs) yeah it well no it's even weirder there's like a child just hanging out in like the center it's a house in the center of this sunflower field and i believe it's all you know it might be a jacob's ladder situation where she's like making all this shit up because she's just talking (laughs) to i believe her grandfather, who is just a corpse. It's very, very strange. It was one of those movies, that family video, that you see a hundred times and you're like, what the fuck is that? Then one of your friends is like, hey, we've seen this cover a hundred times. Let's just rent it. And then it becomes this weird, holy shit, everyone needs to watch it. It's like Teeth, Big Man Japan, those kinds of movies where it's like, oh, uh, we need to just rent this because it is a strange cover the back is baffling with the synopsis let's watch it but time bandits i wish i enjoyed it listen here james i'm gonna i got an idea for you here i know you've been talking about collecting those vhs and doing the ebay thing you're following the footsteps of mr howard kramer you're doing music with howard kramer you guys have singles together howard kramer is so amped on this movie jaws he forces people to like this movie and we being me and Jeff are going to force you to like time bandits just through talking. And after this podcast, you're going to want to go back and rewatch these scenes. I think this would be a great time for a break. Maybe we can get off the zoom call and get onto a secondary zoom call. Cause I have this movie plotted out into 10 different parts and James, you are right. Four of these parts could have completely been taken out of this movie. And it could have been a one hour and 10 minute movie easily. And it would have been a better movie if it was shorter. And then we had this director's cut for guys like me and Jeff who are freaks about it. But that's not what they did. They love long movies in England. Um, But yeah, let's take a break here, guys. And we'll come back and we'll go into the background of Time Bandits. Hey, Jeff. All righty. Hey, there you go. Hello. You believe these kids these days, not like in Time Bandits. Well, my kids, my kids didn't like it either. I couldn't get them to sit through it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and um, last week we had Annie Jean Lynn on, and we watched Power Rangers, and she has a five-year-old, and even her five-year-old didn't watch it with her. And she's like, <laughs> I can just imagine her telling her kids, like, calm down, mommy's trying to watch Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> James, are you with us now too? I, I had to figure out why she was crying. Is it because she loves you and she misses you? No, <laughs> Sox was fucking with her and she was, I think, just trying to find things to play with. And I'm like, they're everywhere. There's toys sprung up about the apartment. That's not, I, I can tell you right now, that cat is not placated. It's going to be bothering you again in about five minutes. <laughs> Let's put- well, I threw the toys out into the living room, so that should hopefully 
show them like, oh, hey, uh, let's go sleep on the bed now. <laughs> right on. Are we recording yet, James? Yeah, well, we've been, I, I didn't stop the recording. OK, cool. OK, guys, we are back with Time Bandits. This movie was released in November of 1981, but it was first conceived about way back in 1979 by Terry Gilliam. And he's shopped this movie around a whole bunch and nobody was interested. Uh, he had the whole thing storyboarded out and he had a definite vision of what he wanted to do. And it was, we can thank the Beatles for this movie because it was George Harrison who personally funded this movie, like just like he did Life of Brian. He's who we had to thank for Life of Brian as well. So that's why we have <clears throat> our outro music is predominantly featuring George Harrison because he's our producer of this movie. They needed names to get this movie out. And at first, you know, this movie was written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin. Michael Palin is one of the Monty Python guys, but he's not one of the main Monty Python. I mean, he's one of the guys, but people know John Cleese. So that's why they put John Cleese as like the lead, I believe, in this movie, because he had the biggest name of anybody else. And Michael Palin was supposed to play that role that John Cleese played. But because of name recognition and because of this idea that John Cleese had to play Robin Hood as like a football coach, um, they went with him instead. Shelley Duvall was also a big actress at the time. And like the, the they had other female leads. Gilda Radner was in the running to be the female lead. Uh, but Shelley Duvall was, I think, the third choice because they needed a strong female lead. And they didn't really have a role for her. This is a man's movie. So they decided to make Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall into like recurring characters that would just randomly show up throughout the movie for comic relief purposes. And Shelley Duvall was great in her role. I don't know if it was necessary. It could have all been cut, but it was basically just to have some some female name recognition. Uh, those were some of my favorite scenes Same. because it I, I enjoy because I, I watch like cartoons that'll do things like that where you're going into different time periods and it it's like oh hey this you meet someone let's say their last names is like uh duval let's just go duval yeah. and then uh, you see the duvals throughout every single era of time and you're like oh, okay hell yeah this is it, it makes things interlock instead of just hey we're, we're going to these random parts of time right Yep, so they sold this film on being, <clears throat> excuse me, I get a drink of water here, fellas. Gulp, gulp. Gulpy, gulpy. Um, a dark kids film is what they were going for. And the tagline for this movie was, all the dreams you have ever had and not just the good ones. Um, so they wanted this to be England's answer to George Lucas and Steven Spielberg because they had success with Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so they, they were kind of going for that direction. Um, I guess I'm just going to start going to the film, guys. Did y'all have any, any other comments about just this film in general? Y'all just want to start going scene by scene? Uh, well, just uh, as a um, looking back from today, just to remember um, <clears throat> some of the other films that came out around that same era um, that are sort of in the same vein. You got Legend. Uh, Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, as was mentioned before. So th those four different filmmakers, you got Ridley Scott making Legend, um, Jim Henson doing Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, both of those. Um, they all have the same fantasy kind of element to them that 
uh, was very unique and I don't think has been really replicated since. Um, it's just pure fantasy, pure heart uh, for all of them. Um, so just something to keep in mind. Kind of spooky too. Like all these movies, I mean, this is a rated PG movie and all the deaths and dismemberments and like <laughs> stuff we saw. I wrote in my notes here probably at least 20 times. This is a PG movie <laughs> because just so much on PG stuff happens. And that was kind of par for the course back then. Well, th- this is pre PG 13. Uh, that's correct. Um, so yeah, they, that... they couldn't have made this a rated R. It would have definitely been a PG thirteen. Absolutely. Wasn't Jaws because... PG? Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, uh, it was Temple of Doom that was like, oh, we need something in between because I believe they were going to rate it R. And then Steven Spielberg was just like, I don't make rated R movies. So then th- that forced the MPAA to be like, we got to find out something for our little golden boy. <laughs> well, I got this movie sectioned off into 10 sections. Our first section, of course, is like our intro to the movie. We establish um, Kevin and his parents. They both live in fantasy worlds. His parents live in a consumerism fantasy world. Kevin lives in an adventure fantasy world where he's just always in his own head. Um, as he's asleep one night and the time bandits arrive in his closet. They mistake him for the Supreme being. The Supreme being shows up and he is Kevin is whisked away with the time bandits. That is basically our first part of the movie. Um, did you guys have any notes or anything that stuck out to y'all at the beginning of this movie? Yeah, I want to know how big this set, like this studio was, or unless they were doing like trick shots of, oh. hey, we're, we're going to establish. Because when they start pushing on that wall, fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Just to establish a world in the way they did. Uh, like, the, I, I will say, like, this movie, I should have also said, if I was high while watching this movie, I probably would have loved it as well, just because my brain isn't like, James, you could be doing a hundred other things right now. <laughs> And yeah, I just the sets and all of that in this movie are fucking top notch. I believe it was a very it was either two million or 16 million. One or the other totally small budget. All the actors worked for scale, including Sean Connery. And the reason that he's in this movie, too, is only to lend credibility to the movie because they put as their stars of the movie. You know, they have big names. Um Catherine Hellmond, Michael Palin, David Warner, Ian Holm. But these guys aren't the stars of the movie. The real star of the movie, in my opinion, is David Rappaport, who oh, yeah, um, yeah. plays the um, the main time bandit, uh, Randall. He basically has all the screen time, all the funny lines. And I, for all you know purposes, he's the star of the movie. Um, and the reason that they hired you know small actors for these roles And the reason that they loved doing these roles, too, is they wanted the film to be from a kid's perspective. So Terry Gilliam's vision and all of his storyboards were all the angles looking up from a kid's perspective. So he wanted all the actors to be short. And he was trying to go for like actors like Steve Barnes size, like five, six guys. But that wasn't short enough. So he decided to go with much shorter actors. And these guys were so on board. I mean, they had auditions out the butt because the, this was a great role if you were like a short Hollywood actor in the 80s because usually these roles are like comedic roles you're playing like the the butt of jokes 
Mm-hmm. And in this movie, you get to play an actual character who has an arc and who is integral to the plot and not just a joke. So these every one of these actors, you know, Kenny Baker and David Rappaport, they just rave about this movie and what it did for them as actors, because it, they got to show that they could act instead of just being a goofball. Yeah. And even if you were a goofball character in this movie, it, it, any size person would still be a goofball in this character. Like the dude who's like, I'm going to eat chickens live and whole. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's a goofball character, but anyone could play that goofball character. It's not dictated on your physical stature. Yep. I love that moving wall. Like you were saying, that's something that I've always mimicked as a kid, trying to push my wall and get to another world. And another thing that always stuck with me, I don't know if you it stuck with you or not, Jeff, but um, return what you have stolen from me. That is <laughs> a recurring line of my life. No, I, I love I, that scene. Definitely is one of the scenes that just catches you as a kid anyway. And, and for me still, I guess, is when they're running down and say, you know, you hear the music and then you turn around and that, that, that light in that head. That big head. And it's interesting that that the head and the voice are two different actors. Yep. Um, so they had that going. But uh, yeah, and then that chasing you down the hallways is really an interesting uh, image. And I can't move on without bringing up uh, Kevin's parents, uh, just how vacant they are. Um, just consumers. They have plastic on their furniture. They want every new device there is. They love that talk show at the beginning which comes into play at the end of the movie, uh, just how over the top and stupid that talk show is they're watching. Yeah. Any other notes about any of those scenes, guys, before we move on to the farm? Well, I mean, if you're, if, if you want to watch it to have fun, then no, but if you want to watch <laughs> it to, to notice every little thing, then you just got, you got to look at the whole room and all the little things that are on the walls and all the, ah, yes. the floors and all that, but. Yeah. Yes, every single thing in Kevin's room comes into play later on as well. That's right. Like, is any picture that's on his wall is going to come up? Any of the army men? Yes. Him talking about, oh, these gladiators could kill people in 28 ways. Oh, yeah, that's right. Talking to his dad, and his dad's like, that's right. Let's get another Frigidaire toaster. <laughs> well, yeah, so Kevin's whisked away at the time bandits, and their first stop is. In, 19, in 1796 France, they get dropped off in the middle of a battlefield and they're in the middle of a French war. Napoleon is our man here and he has taken over this town. He is a demanding fellow. He demands entertainment. He wants to be entertained by little things. The time bandits are perfect for him. And the time bandits also let Kevin know that the reason that they're around is because they worked with God creation they got bored and they decided they wanted to become time bandits and steal a bunch of stuff from time using time portals we i guess it's the whole plot of the movie anybody listening to this has already seen it but yeah that's where we're at right now and these time portals are the first thing that tie us to the wheel of time because this predates wheel of time by 10 years and the time portals that they use to jump through time definitely come into i mean maybe it's a spoiler it's not a spoiler it is a spoiler it's just a thing that other movies and other properties have um taken from and that's you know wheel of time is one of those they use these time portals predominantly i would say well 
A wheel of time, that's not a time portal. That's just a portal, like, from yes. one. That's a, like, a, you would want to do, like, Stargate. You're right, yeah. In the, in the wheel of time universe, you don't jump time. You just jump place to place. In this universe, yeah. you jump time to time. Actually, even Stargate, that's just dimension to dimension, not really time to time. But, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if this concept um, of these, like, the visual gates... I don't remember seeing these before Time Bandits. How about you, Jeff? Uh, before I, I don't know. I mean, I was a kid, so <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you had some if you had some knowledge about some you know some sci-fi stuff. I'm not privy to. Well, look in my room, uh, they were there, but in movies, <laughs> I don't know. You're, you're Same. Like, before this movie was unconsciousness. I I don't remember. <laughs> Well, I love the way these guys say robbery and they keep saying we're going to do a robbery and that just endears me. I one thing about this movie, Disney is probably pissed they did not produce <laughs> this because this is a ride at Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. And I like the way that they have no leader. It's clear that Randall is their leader, but they agree that there's no leader. And so Randall's like, yeah, we have no leader. So shut up and do what I say. And that's endearing to me. I love Randall. <laughs> I didn't like this whole Napoleon scene. I'm going to be honest with you. First off, there was too many people dying. Kevin is immediately seeing some shit. Immediately. He's watching people get lined up and shot. He's watching people hang themselves, um, gun blasts, people diving in the water. Kevin shouldn't be seeing this stuff at such a young age immediately too. This is like the first thing he sees besides the farm is like a bunch of deaths in a battlefield. Man, I, this is when they're going through the, uh, the river area, right? Yeah. Man, the, like, it's so fucking cool. Like if this is a set that they made, holy fuck. If it, even if it is a real place that they had to obviously dress it for this movie, so whoever worked on this visually and artistically did a fucking great job. Yeah. You would love Brazil. Have you seen Brazil by any chance? I have not. Oh it's, my God. <laughs> it's in the same trilogy. And like, um, time bandits was my favorite movie for a long time. Um, the Nicolas Cage movie Raisin Arizona was my, my number one movie for a long time. And then the first time I saw Brazil, it shot to the top of the list and it, be, it became my favorite movie of all time. It's very similar stylistically to this movie, except for it's, it's not for kids. There's no time bandits. <laughs> There's no little Kevin. Um, it's a little less endearing, but it's a fantastic movie. I can tell by Jeff's noises. He loves it too. Yeah, well, again, it was one of those movies that I saw way too early in life, and so I had no idea what it was about. But visually stunning, um, very much it, the 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 design of the uh, environment uh, is very much like Blade Runner, that kind of futuristic feel to it. Um, but no, for, for me, out of this trilogy, the Munchausen is the one that I prefer. Okay, yeah, that's one that. Um... I was disappointed by it when I saw it. I didn't like it as much. And then Brazil brought me back. Um, so what was it about Barry Munchausen that caught your attention? Uh, I, I just love special effects, especially uh, practical special effects. And, you know, the, the whole fish scene. And then also the uh, the guest spot from, from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was hilarious um, in that movie. Um, yeah, just... Uh, when there's a interesting interpretation of God's 
uh, of the pantheon of gods and all that. I'm, I'm always uh, interested in that kind of thing. So, cool. Okay, I should give it another shot because I gave this another shot and I loved it more than I thought. So, <laughs> I need to watch Brazil. So I might as well watch the whole trilogy. I'd be doing myself <laughs> a disservice to not do so. Um, let's see. Yeah, um, we see Vermin eat a candle here. That's pretty nice. They're so hungry at the dinner table that Vermin munches on a candle. I like that. Uh, I, I think Vermin eats anything. I don't know. I yeah, he does. Hungry, but. <laughs> the candle was my favorite, though, because, you know, eating a rat, you know, a rat and a chicken, they're both they're, they're both edible items, but a candle is not going to get you anywhere. <laughs> He's like Tum Tum from Three Ninjas. He'll eat anything except for dog poo. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they really started out this movie with a bang because these these nice long shots that they were doing involving multiple actors involving multiple cameras and you could tell they were like a single shot they spent some time on this movie it's great oh well they they make off with their first robbery and the first group they rob is napoleon's army and then they abscond uh what's the guy's name who goes off and finds a wormhole strutter strutter is the guy who finds the wormhole wormhole time portal um, they just kind of make the generals turn their backs and then they they abscond with all their stuff. Good job, guys. And that's played by Gene Simmons, right? <laughs> sure. Yes. <yeah, strutter. laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, you're on a um, you're on a tribute album, Jeff. I mean, not, oh. not speaking of Kiss, speaking of Danzig. We didn't speak of Danzig. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, out of left field. Yes, sir. <laughs> I know. But just talking about Kiss, I don't know. My mind just went there. Congrats, man. That was that. I love that version of that song you did. Oh, thank you. It was really tough. Uh, yeah, so I did a version of uh, Danzig's Her Black Wings for a uh, Danzig cover album. Um, it's specifically for Hispanic bands. Um, the 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 podcast that put it together, Cyber Cadaver Radio, um, was. Uh, uh, I'm thankful that they let me on it because I'm in the U.S. But um, we're using that. I'm, my family's from Ecuador, so and I speak Spanish too. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the covers in English with the original lyrics. But I think one of the one of the other bands does a cover where they change the lyrics into Spanish. Um, but there's a lot of great uh, great songs on that tribute album. I've only heard yours so far. I'm sorry to say I have to check the rest of them out. <laughs> but yeah, That's wanted, fine with me. <laughs> I had to bring it up so I can put it in the show notes. <laughs> so yeah, they escond with their robbery there and they go through their next time portal, which leads them to the Middle Ages in the Robin Hood time. This is where we're going to meet John Cleese in a moment here. Um, the time bandits think that they're just as good at thieves as the Robin Hood thieves. They try to join forces with them. Uh, they doesn't quite work out the way they wanted. Uh, they do not join force with these Robin Hood thieves because these Robin Hood thieves want to give the stuff to the poor and then punch them in the face for whatever <laughs> reason. That was, I guess that's just a Monty Python bit, but that was completely unnecessary. I didn't even make me laugh. Did you? Did y'all enjoy the scene where they would punch people in the face after giving them gold? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, mean, I was. I was taking photos. <laughs> oh, taking photos of eBay. You're just in your own yes. world. Well, for 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 me, I, I just love the fact that it was a complete opposite view of of Robin Hood and the Merry Men than most people take and the stories take. That that the Merry Men are actually robbers, and you yeah. know, so they're the they're the dirtiest and the meanest of, of people who are hiding out in the forest. Um, so I, I love the juxtapositions, that kind of thing. 
I like how uh, I do too. I agree. And John Cleese's Robin Hood that he plays here, he based this on a football coach. I'm not exactly sure who, because I don't follow sports at all. And, you know, of course, this is British football. It's, so- it's soccer to us. But he based this after a British coach that would just aimlessly go down the field and talk to every single player in a line and just say something inane to them that just absolutely had no meaning. And if somebody had something like specific or something heartwarming to say, he would just say, very good, very good, and just move on to the next person. So he's doing a dead-on imitation of this soccer coach. And that went over my head, you know, until I realized this recently. Uh, Did you know about that already, Jeff? Uh, no, I didn't know that he was doing that uh, that impression. But no, I, I didn't need to know that for for it to be a, a, a funny a funny bit <laughs> where was. he asks, "So, what do you think about uh, this lifestyle?" Some is, is and one of them says, "Well, it pays the rent," um, and the other one says, four one, four four feet one inch." <laughs> like he goes, "Okay, that's okay." <laughs> I wish I could go back in time. Head to the writer's room of Mad TV and pitch Frank Caliendo doing this same Robin Hood thing, but just as John Madden. <laughs> yes. Just a different type of football coach. He does a great John Madden. You're right about that. <laughs> well, let's see. We we determined that this was their first successful robbery. Kevin is now part of the gang. Um, my favorite line from this whole segment is the Shelley Duvall and Michael Palin doing their thing. And he has some sort of problem that keeps coming up. It's a sexual problem, obviously. I'm not sure if he like if he. Oh, weather service alert, y'all! I don't know how to turn it off, but I got it. Um, he has some sort of problem, either like erectile dysfunction or maybe he shoots too quick. But I know he says at one point, "The problem, Pansy, I must have fruit," and <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's supposed to mean. But I loved it. I wrote it down. James, what does that mean? I must have fruit. I must have fruit. Maybe, oh, maybe he has like like stinky semen. So in order for it to taste oh. good, he needs to eat fruits such as pineapple. That makes a lot of sense. And he, he realizes the problem is coming up somehow. I don't know. <laughs> I, if you knew, if you had stinky semen, you would probably know. So, or someone would tell you, like, hey, you need to fix your jit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. They, um, for some reason, they, they split this gang because they realize they're giving all the money to the poor. So they just split. Um, they go off and they get into some sort of rain fight. This is kind of where the movie, it doesn't lose me. I understand what's going on, but it is kind of, um, I don't know. It just kind of goes off on a tangent where they're in a rain fight suddenly. And then evil and his henchmen make their first appearance and evil engages mind control to, (laughs) to take hold of one of the bandits so that he will direct the other bandits to the most, what do they call it? The most fabulous object in the world at (laughs) at the fortress of evil. What do I have here? The ultimate uh, darkness, the for- uh, ultimate darkness. Like the that. fortress of ultimate darkness. Yes, these goofy like names that obviously an eight-year-old would make up. <laughs> I will say when this whole stuff was introduced, I called the ending of, oh, this was obviously manipulated by God. Right. Yeah, well, they. I think they um, 
they talk about that pretty early on how they used to work for God and they quit. But that, but that he's like, oh, you guys didn't steal this map. Like I d- allowed you to take this so oh. it could play these things out where this uh, – spoilers for the end – uh, that y- you guys would just I, do this work for me and kill this man. <laughs> yep. Well, while they're fighting with evil and while they're grappling with the Supreme being showing up again, um, Kevin, there's two portals that Kevin could jump through. Randall tells him, just go, just go. He jumps in one. And of course, after he goes, he says, not that one. Great line. I loved that when I was a kid. And this whole next scene could have also been cut from the movie, I believe. I think these last two scenes probably could have been cut from the movie and not really affected too much. Uh, they could have just thrown a couple of lines of dialogue. But Kevin now goes back in time, way back in time, to um, he's in the middle of a fight with a minotaur. These are Roman times. And he gets in good with the king. What is? Do you remember the king's name, Jeff? Or who's it is, like this? Uh, yeah, it's King Agamemnon. There you go. I, I didn't write it down because I figured I'd remember, but then I did not remember. <laughs> but yeah, Kevin loves it here. Um, and I loved it here when I was a kid. It seemed like this scene was only like about five minutes, but in my head, it lasted a lot longer. Um, just because I guess these scenes were like iconic to me as a child, like where they were playing like the the hide the queen and he like he elects Kevin as like his his heir and the queen doesn't like that. And you can tell that there is like some animosity there between the king and the queen. But we never really go into it because it's just a side plot that never happens. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we find out that the uh, the bandits come to help Kevin out. They show up during this ceremony and during a magic show, they whisk Kevin away and no one is the wiser. We should say in air quotes, help Kevin out because Kevin (laughs) did not want assistance here. Yeah, I think the king probably should have sensed that, you know, Kevin didn't like this instead of like just being like the 80s dad, like, aha, just go ahead with the weirdos and Mm -hmm. (laughs) hide behind a curtain with those strange guys. Yeah, you'll you'll have fun, kid. It'll be a good story one day. So, yeah, they come and rescue him and he is upset. Uh, They see him on the next scene and they are on a boat. It's the Titanic, and Kevin is super bummed at these guys. He's not happy at all. He's looking. He, oh, yeah, we should mention, too, that Kevin took some pictures while he was in Rome, took some pictures of the bandits holding up the map, which was a great idea. He probably should have taken more pictures of the map, but we got at least one picture of the map they can use later. I'm he, trying he's to, so, he's yeah. so sad he can't even do the I'm the king of the world. He's not singing <laughs> Lonely Island. No. He's not doing any of the classic being on a boat things. He doesn't say, hey, we're going to need a bigger boat, even though he could have said that once you see this huge iceberg. <laughs> I mean, he could have been checking out, you know, Pansy and her man, like making out again. They were doing their overly sexual you know, dialogue. Shelley Duvall is like having an orgasm, like every line in this movie, she's like mid orgasm, but they, they're, they're living like Kings on the boat. Uh, They make Kevin sick. And of course this is the Titanic. So it's going to sink the next scene. Again, it's another one of these odd scenes where they're in the middle of the ocean, just like you're saying with the Titanic, they don't even get on the, the thing that they're the plank that they're using as a rescue method. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of paddling along like Leonardo DiCaprio. They should be on top of that thing, not paddling along for some reason. They decide to just let go and trust evil that will lead them to the right place because 
someone tells them that the map is right there. Um, this is the part that really kind of threw me through a loop. Jeff, do you have a better explanation for how this played out? Well, yeah, they're they're, they're greedy, and then so uh, the evil is is play, playing on their greed and 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 telling them where the ultimate uh, whatever is, so that that's what they want, um, or at least that's what Randall thinks he should want um, by becoming a bandit. So um, that's where he's leading them. But doesn't like their tuxedo change into white at the next scene kind of represent them becoming good guys at this from this point on? Well, I think that's reading a little too far into it. <laughs> well, I thought that's what it was. I thought that's no, no, what. Well, well, well. So, so they go through the they go through the portal uh, by just believing, um, and <laughs> and evil is you know making a whirlpool and bringing them through uh, into the land of legends, um, and so that's sort of like a negative world kind of thing. So maybe that's, uh, I don't know, but uh, yeah, that's, that's where, where I got really excited was in the land of legends because there's yeah. really big giant there. Yeah. The big giant that, uh, well, first they're on the boat with, uh, that, that is what happens, right? That is the order of things. I, I wrote down notes here, but I'm kind of trying, I'm kind of skimming through my notes cause I'm looking at our clock at the same time. I hate to do uh-huh, that, uh-huh. but I got to do it, <laughs> but yeah, they're on the boat. Uh, they go from the Titanic to the boat of the ogre is that correct yes they they end up on the ogre boat right and again another very you know really hot and horny couple here the ogre and the ogre's wife and this ogre of course is the whole reason that we're even doing this show this ogre is also played by the same guy who portrayed aemon targaryen in game of thrones it's the same actor which i was shocked by that he doesn't look the same at all but it's him we have Hmm our third connection right there. Um, even though they're good guys, they do knock the ogre off the boat using a pretty crafty method. It actually surprised me as a kid because they were helping the ogre and they were like cracking his back for him and stretching him out. And then they use that method to give him the old heave ho off the side of the boat, which I thought was clever as hell because I thought that they were going to stretch the ogre out and then he would be like their you know another companion another big time bandit that they could hang out with instead they just give him the heave ho and his wife too i think they made out in the water there i don't know (laughs) (laughs) well we don't see that no yeah the the ogre is a great character and he uh gets thrown off the uh side and he's still thinking that's part of the um the cure for his back problems. Oh, but it is the cure because he's able to really cough for the first time. And he coughs so much that he like whisks the boat away. So that's Kevin the part is- that has always confused me. <laughs> Why? If, it, if, if the ship is the hat on this big giant. Oh, <laughs> then how is it actually being whisked, being pushed by the wind? Maybe the maybe the giant like alternates like when they're in deep water he'll like do some swimming like underwater and just kind of like kick around and like the hat just kind of floats by itself and then he like comes up and like you know the when he <laughs> ascends the water the hat's on his head that you're right there that, that that did not make any sense whatsoever that's why it's the land of legends <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he they go to the shore. They're on. They find themselves on a well, first Jersey, on Jersey Shore. <laughs> They're there with the situation, and I like the way that Kevin gave some drugs to the guy, like shot him like some juice, like straight to the head. 
that hurt me watching that. I did not like that scene. <laughs> I'm a sense aversion type of person. And I didn't like that at all. And Kevin, he looked evil while he was doing that. Like, if you look at that scene closely, he looks like he's enjoying it a little too much. But yeah, so that so they get to ascend into the desert. They don't know where they're going. They don't trust each other. They fight. Randall throws an object. And this is the part that makes its way in my dreams where he smashes through one barrier and into another. We are now at the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness. Damn, uh, this is insane that we, we've we really only been talking about this movie for 30 minutes and we're at the end. Like, not a lot. Like, y- you could shave some stuff off this movie. That's what I'm saying. You're absolutely right. There's lots of notes I'm not going through here just to be considered of time. Um, but yeah, we've, we've pretty much hit them all the beats. I don't think we've missed a whole lot. I did want to go in deep on all the jokes and all the lines that I love. I wrote those down, but there's really no reason to, to tell you how mm-hmm. much I love them because they're there and I do love them, but yeah, you're right. This is, this, we're kind of close to the end. I think this is the third act. I think is where you would consider this is when they, uh, enter the fortress and they're, looking at the huge thing and it's again it's great scenery i don't know how mm-hmm. they they probably did the star wars style i'm sure where they made a miniature and then they just superimposed the actors on top of the miniature scale but this is where the um they run into the game show they're now part of kevin's parents game show and the host of the show says the next stage you have to hand over the map and of course it's evil all along we have to get onto our next zoom call don't we james yeah we do Okay. All right. One I, more I'm break, guys. This and I'll, I'll, we'll be right back. Okay. So we've arrived, and the they have to hand over the map to the game show host, who is, of course, evil. We Which is just live spelled backwards. You ever think about that, guys? I think about it every day, man. He has it so tough. I, I do like evil's like sidelines, and like I like all of his lines of dialogue, all the jokes. Everything about evil is great. <laughs> I purely love evil. Also, if anyone is watching or listening to this and hasn't watched, just like fast forward to the, them getting to this fortress because this is the meat of this movie and just so visually stunning. That's why I was when you were saying, do I have to finish watching this movie? I was like, yes, you absolutely have to finish watching it. So did it end stronger than it started for you then? I, I would say yes. I did. I forgot to mention that. I messaged... Steve maybe 25 minutes into it and said re time bandits oh boy and then Steve goes oh man I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this and I said my thoughts are do I need to finish watching this movie (laughs) I emphatically said yes and if you're gonna watch what is it um time money hustlers or whatever it is you watch big money hustlers big money hustlers you can watch time bandits I mean come on (laughs) Steve, do you think just all movies and shows have time in the title? There's a few of them that do. This one does. This one absolutely does have time in the title. Time Bandits. There's Time After Time. There's the... Time Machine. Okay, after they hand over the map, of course they're captured. And this is where we get to see Og eat a rat. It's pretty disgusting, but it's for me, it's not as questionable as the candle. I still think the candle is the weirdest thing he ate. Uh, they have these cool cages that they're all trapped in. There's three cages there suspended in midair. And I don't know how they did these scenes either, but these are, I think the most stunning scenes of the movie where they, 
have to go from one cage to another in order to escape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and who is it that climbs up there? Um, Wally climbs up and gets rope from the rope that they're <laughs> they're dangling from, and he cuts it down to a tiny thread. And even as a kid, I just thought that was the most funny, ridiculous thing in the world to like be hanging by a thread and taking all that rope and making another rope out of the rope. But it yeah, works. The, yeah, it, the the lighting is amazing in that because it it really looks like a bottomless pit. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you're watching on HD, you can't see a change in the color at all. It's like completely dark and black all the way down. Um, so I, it's amazing how they did that. And then you see them swinging. And it's a really long rope, or maybe it's just an angle of the camera. I have no idea how they did it. And the guy disappears into the darkness and then comes back up. So to me, that's just amazing how they did that. To anyone who is familiar with Super Sentai, Die Ranger at the Gorma headquarters looks a lot like this. And I think that's why it resonates with me so much, because that's my favorite Sentai series. And it just artfully and visually, it's so great. Uh, I don't know why I'm like, uh, endless voids. Those are cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, they make it good, but like with the music is great in this. The the music cues like for their action shots and the suspense. Everything about this scene works. It does not. I mean, this movie, I, I think it starts strong and then it meanders and then it ends strong. Um, but just because I grew up with this movie and loved it so much, I, I give that middle part a pass just because the images struck me, but really it's the ending is what it's all about here. (laughs) So they escape from that cage and Wally does the most insane stunt where he like drops from the cage, drops from the rope. He survives of course. Um, But they escape from their situation there and they're just going to bail. Kevin reminds them that we can't just bail um, because if we do, then evil is going to kill everything tomorrow. So we have to make this decision here. We have to save the world. And somehow he talks the bandits into that too. And they're on board. So next scene, we got evil basking in his evilness. Um, He's talking about his plan, talking about what he's going to do. He's going (laughs) to remake the world in his image. And Let's see. Next up. Oh, yeah, I like this. I like how he's talking about how computers and he wants to know everything he can about computers and how they're key to like what he has to do. And this is 1981. Very, very prophetic of the potential of the microchip. Yeah. They're talking about subscriber trunk dialing, which is like a huge thing. And that led to the Internet directly as subscriber trunk dialing is um was enabled so you wouldn't have to talk to an operator to make overseas calls. So if you were a subscriber trunk dialer or whatever, if you subscribe to trunk dialing, then you could just straight up call anybody in the world that you want at any time. And that was just a remarkable thing back then. And look where it got us evil, fucking evil. (laughs) (laughs) It's all his fault. Um, So this, this is, one of the first scenes after he uh, turns Benson into a dog, Benson's adorable now because for some reason he has to be a dog to guard the map. He can't just be a human and guard the map, (laughs) but this is the first shot where we see that this castle is actually made of Legos and it's made of toys. And it's giving you the first idea that this might be just a dream from Kevin. 
um, Benson's not the only person that's turned into an animal. They turn Og into a, a half pig. Later, he turns him into a full pig. And we actually get a character death. Uh, no, we don't get a character death first. First, we get some fighting. <laughs> Forgot. They bring back everybody in um, from their past. And they even bring in people that we didn't meet yet, like the spaceship guys the army guys, I guess those are like storyboarded scenes that got cut for time because they didn't want it to be longer than it was. So everybody has their own little battle. We on um, the Cowboys come first and turn into a carousel. He turns into this giant pin cushion. And anyway, first the Cowboys, then the Knights try to gas them. Then we get the big guns with the tanks and the spaceships. And this is where evil really takes control of the technology around him. And he is able to control them. Another big metaphor of the movie. And in this fight, one of our characters dies. We see fidget gets crushed and killed. And we know it's not just one of these, like maybe he's dead because Wally is beside himself. You kind of get the sense that maybe they're more than just friends as well. That might've been written into the plot. Uh, Wally is raging and he just wants to face on, um, evil single-handedly take him down for what he did to, did to his buddy. <laughs> James, you or not you, I just watched Raisin Arizona and that bounty hunter in Raisin Arizona looks just like Wally, especially when Wally was like raging in evil's face and all pissed off and had that mad face. He looked just like the bounty hunter, Leonard Smalls. Do you see that? Sure, because I don't remember that there was a bounty hunter in Raising Arizona, and I didn't know there was a character named Wall-E in this movie. <laughs> well, that's okay. Our listeners know. And I think, Jeff, you're with it too, right? You remember all that? Well, well now that you bring it up, that makes... Yeah, I, I definitely see that that comparison. Um, uh, I do want to say that for me as a kid, those... those uh, I don't know what they're supposed to be, but with the cow heads and oh, the big God. black cloak things and the hook yeah those scared the crap out of me as a kid i i didn't bring that up but that's written down here as well that those completely freaked me out as a child no kid should see these <laughs> this is not a pg movie <laughs> i mean i think this is a pg movie it means you need parental guidance and there's it's just like does your Parents know that, like, hey, shield your eyes. Like a story I've said many times on my shows, My, even though it's a rated R movie, my mom still was like, hey, we'll watch The Godfather because I enjoy it, but I will do parental guidance when, oh, there, she's about to take her top off, shield James's eyes because he's only 12 years old, right. but I will whisper into his ear and say... <laughs> you know they're real because they part to the side <laughs> when she lays down. And uh, yeah, as I've said, every single time I see a woman lay down on the bed and her breasts fall to the side, uh, my mother's voice is in my head. So yeah. I do I do it on Pornhub just constantly search standing. <laughs> Please. 
Let's get back to our movie, Mom. Thanks a lot, Mom, for those uh, for those images. <laughs> so yes, I, I'm fine with this being a PG movie. Gotcha. Okay. I thought you were gonna go with the, I thought you were gonna go with the old adage that she would had had your eyes when there was breasts, but when people were getting blown away, like with guns, she would allow you to watch all the violence, but just not the boobies, because that's the usual mom deal. No, my mom. She didn't want me to see Freddy versus Jason because of the murder. And then she was kind of fine with the murder. And then when the breast came on, she's like, oh, my, I don't remember the Friday the 13th mo- or uh, the nightmare movies having this. And I'm like, well, mom, the, the Friday the 13th movies had a lot of boobs. And she's like, God damn it. They're ruining my Kruger. <laughs> uh, and then uh, what? What? Uh, and language. My parents were very adamant against. Like they did not want me watching Eight Mile, even though I very much wanted to. And they're like, "Yeah, you. No, we watched it. We enjoyed it. You absolutely cannot see this movie." <laughs> this movie, Time Bandits, though, had it all except for boobies. It's the only thing that was lacking in Time Bandits. It had everything else from the cinema experience represented except for boobies. It's the only thing it missed. Lots of sexual overtones, but no actual boobies. And as Nicole says on Mostly Speaking Sentai, boobies make everything better. It's true. They could have used that like in, the, in the middle act, I think. But yeah, we're wrapping up here. Um, the Supreme Being uh, reveals that this was all his plan all along. Wait, well, hold on, hold yes. on. You're, you're glazing over the coolest fucking thing in this movie. When evil, like, like his head, top of the head pops off and like this fucking, this was Hellraiser shit right here. Where oh, yeah. his head pops off to reveal a razor blade to cut off the ropes that were tied around him. Yeah, that was in the first, that was in the Cowboys in that in their first fight. And yeah, we're hitting on one thirty here now, so I figured I'd, I'd try to wrap it up and not go too deep. But yeah, I, I love that scene. I loved his whole headgear, like his just general headgear that he wore would be a great like visual mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. a metal band. Absolutely. I mean, I think Ghost probably like took some notes from this movie on their current look that they have because their current masks kind of resemble the evil masks. But yeah, they do all kinds of cool stuff in that battle, but it's all revealed that this was the Supreme Being's plan all along, that the that the Time Bandits did exactly what he they were supposed to do, and he offers them their jobs back at a 19% cut, and they can develop shrubs. They gladly take that job back. But for some reason, they're going to leave Kevin there. They're all like, what about Kevin? What about him? Like, you know, he needs to carry on the fight. So they leave him there with a little chunk of evil that's left behind. That little chunk of evil turns into a house fire at Kevin's house. He wakes up with some firemen saving him. He wakes up to firemen saving him, not his parents. His parents rescued the toaster, the TV, the blender, but they did not rescue Kevin. <laughs> and we got to talk about Kevin. We do. That's a I movie. Mean, I'm just yeah, I know. saying that. <laughs> yes. They never talk about Kevin. They don't give a shit about their live son. They just care about their appliances. Um, but the, he's rescued by the fireman who turns out to be Sean Connery. He looks in his pocket. There's all the pictures. So this obviously was not a dream. This was obviously the real deal. The fireman drives off. The house is in flames. Kevin. Oh, for Kevin's parents. This. This was always me and Jada Shazo's favorite part. Mom, dad, don't touch it. It's evil. 
and they immediately turn around and touch it. I, I just love it. The timing of it is perfect. James is shaking his head. I just, what was the ending of this movie? Because then they explode. Because they touch the evil, just like everybody else. After what's his foot like gives a wink real quick as a fireman. And it's like, I don't care. Uh, even if you are in a sexual, consensual, loving relationship with someone, genuine winks should never be had. <laughs> it should always be ironic. It should always be for like overblown comedic effect. Yep. Winks are so fucking creepy. Agreed. Yes. Especially if you're an adult winking at a child, never do that. No, especially a child you're leaving behind on their own with a burnt house and no plan. All the authorities leave. Poor Kevin. He's got to carry on the fight somehow. (laughs) Well, yeah, all, all, and they show you as they pan out that all the adults are out, out of their house, looking at the house burning, but nobody's helping him, even though apparently his parents blew up in front of everybody. But we get that awesome George Harrison song at the end. This George Harrison song at the end, if you listen to the lyrics, the lyrics are about the movie. They're not just about the movie. They're about how George Harrison feels about the movie. He was not a big, he liked the movie for the most part. There there were certain aspects of it, certain scenes that he hated. So he put those into the lyrics of this song, like just certain things that he did not like. Um, And we see a bunch of cool pictures of the time bandits in that red, font or whatever filter they got going that's the end of our movie guys we watch time bandits um my my favorite lyric from that was at the end why did they blow up and why is he winking (laughs) why is the man winking (laughs) and why didn't they go into the stinky semen plot (laughs) i need my fruit (laughs) yes you're right but yeah, let's let's get on here, y'all. We got some time going. Uh, Jeff, before we get off the phone here, why don't you remind everybody where they can find you? Oh, uh, yeah. Where can they find me? I'm here oh, in New man. York. Um, <laughs> but uh, on the internet, <laughs> on the internet, you can find me. Hey, look, uh, the big thing is my family has a podcast that we just started called uh, Save Room for Dinner. So check that out on uh, you know, uh, uh, Google, Apple, and Spotify um two episodes every week uh it's 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 basically uh just a slice of life kind of thing we just uh record our dinner that's pretty much it well um um it's uh, like a little bit of asmr going on at the same time it's just a <laughs> slice of life kind of thing um trigger warning for anybody who doesn't like chewing noises <laughs> <laughs> but uh you can find me on the internet titanosaur rocks just any of the socials titanosaur rocks uh youtube instagram twitter all those fancy places. And of course on Bandcamp. Uh, yeah. Good deal. You buried the, you buried the lead there, man. I forgot all about the podcast. I listened to the first episode. I liked it. And then I, I didn't realize more episodes were coming out. I'm glad you reminded me and the listeners so we can get listening to them. Absolutely. I've, 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 some of the responses we've gotten is that, that, that it's somehow really fun. Apparently, you know, we, we laugh at every freaking uh dinner we have that's why we decided to record it <laughs> um so we hope that everybody has fun with it heck yeah i have fun doing this heather likes to tell me every thursday that she loves hearing me in here laughing she loves me doing a podcast with james because she knows i get enjoyment out of it so james let me kick it to you what do you got promoting this week 
MLMPod.com to find out about my other podcasts, listen to my music under Marshland Monster, and Patreon.com forward slash MLMPod, where for $5 a month you get exclusive content every single Friday. It's a fun time. Yes, sir. And you can find me over at intro.void on Instagram. And please check out Rebecca Crow. We're on Instagram also, Rebecca Crow 106.1 FM. Uh, we're working on a new song. Well, we're working on covering an uh, old song, I should say, Mist in Shadow. Uh, we'll start doing that right when we get off the call here. James, I might get on the call because you're go- I might get on the horn because you're going to be doing some streaming over there on Twitch like you'd like to do. No, he's not going to be doing any streaming on this Twitch went too today. long and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling <laughs> a little like I, I just I need to take the day off. Well, let's take the rest of the day off, boys. Thank you very much for joining us and thanks for watching Time Bandits. And I hope both y'all in New York and Chicago find some water and shade. Say it back. <laughs> find water and shade, guys. Bye. Yes. What? Yes, sir. You <laughs> would just say bye here. Okay. Bye, Jeff. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I'll stop the record. <laughs>